0: Hi, guys. Aurora James here, founder of Brother Vellies and your host of In Progress Season 2, a podcast brought to you by Girl Boss Radio and made possible by our friends at Toomey, the iconic luggage brand. So, if you're new to In Progress, welcome. And if you're a longtime listener, thanks for tuning in each week and helping drive this conversation. We're going to explore how we can navigate our journeys in a way that honors our ambitions, our relationships, and our personal well-being. On season two in particular, we're taking a look back at how we can chart our path forward by reflecting on the road rolled out behind us. I'm talking about origin stories, how the places we come from, the people and experiences that shape us, and the traditions that we carry with us have everything to do with where we're headed next. And I am so very excited about our next guest, Beat Simkin. She is the perfect person to discuss all of the nebulous ins and outs of owning our personal narratives and taking stock of the moment. Beat Simkin is a much buzzed about spiritual teacher and author who loves saying she learned to meditate while she was in diapers. That being said, her road between then and now was a rocky one. On this episode, Beat and I are going to dive deep get our hands dirty, and talk about how a number of seriously traumatic events in her life eventually brought her full circle through darkness and back to her childhood roots. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us today on the In Progress podcast. Thanks for having me. I guess I kind of want to know from you where it all started.
1: (sighs) Well, I mean, one might say it started in outer space with me, but (laughs) right after that, it was Jackson Heights, Queens. My family immigrated from Russia, and I was born a month later in Elmhurst Hospital.
0: Wow. So I'm
1: from Queens.
0: Um, You told one of our producers that you basically started meditating when you were in diapers. That
1: is the truth. Okay, so tell me about that. Who is a meditator in your family? Uh, Well, my father. My father was, uh, he like came to find awakening in the woods of Russia. He cured himself of tuberculosis. He was like an atheist and um, like a very angry man, very Uh angry person, very afraid. He was a doctor, a medical doctor. And then one day he got tuberculosis and he was told he was going to die. And he was really freaked out because he had a wife and a kid at that time neither not me but my my mom and my brother and one of his students was like i know how you can cure that um but it's a secret and you could die obviously because in communist russia you weren't allowed to practice spiritual things so he was okay. like but you know if you're willing I can introduce you to the person so he was like I'll do anything so he went and studied with a shaman in the the woods of Russia in secret and cured himself of tuberculosis discovered Ayurveda how long ago was this? this was in 1978 or so Okay. and then he um, completely cured himself discovered what he called God he was Mm -hmm. not a religious man he was more of like a a, kind of an anarchist man of great faith
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um just came to have this deep, deep love for the unknowable. And then he turned to my mom and was like, hey, how about we create a freedom child um, with intention and then run away to a free land, run away to America, because I hear there's, like, a way to leave. And she was like, oh, well, let me think about that for a second. <laughs> and then she thought about it for a few hours and then said yes. And so they wow. they created me and then moved to the States. And as soon as they got here, he got, like an office and like they got a little apartment and they were both working like two jobs and you know, we were immigrants. So it was that whole thing. And then he, but he had this deep practice. So he had like this very barren space with like a shag rug and like two paintings and we would meditate together and I was like in diapers. So did
0: he give up medical practice when he moved here?
1: He became a psychotherapist slash shaman. Like he just did um, this healing modality that was gifted to him through meditation.
0: So, growing up for you, when you were younger, like, did you go to a traditional school in Queens? Like, yeah, unfortunately, I you went did. to public
1: school. Okay, for ever. Like, did you do the whole thing, or did you leave? I finally got out at um when I was in the ninth grade. I was about to drop out of school completely because I was so horrified by the uh-huh. whole process. It was. Absolutely. I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen Pink Floyd, The Wall, but it was mm-hmm. like that bad. And, uh, and I would like come home and cry at night and like cry myself to sleep at night with how alone I felt and how I just felt like it wasn't my place. It wasn't right for me, you know, as a, as a human being. It just felt completely wrong.
0: So did you feel isolated or was it like you didn't get along with people or you had friends, but you still didn't feel like you fit in? Like, what was it?
1: I was not I was very popular mm-hmm. but I was like hated as well I think all popular people are or can mm-hmm. relate to that but um, popular and hated was the blend and I'm very sensitive I'm an artist and then also like what I'm not telling you is that my whole family died while I was growing up minus okay. my father and my brother and so I just was very sensitive I was very depressed I was very sad and it wasn't like I had a community to turn to it was like these kids were really mean there was like one incident where my mom died and my grandmother died like two weeks later. You know, it was like a just oh a gosh. crazy series how of old you? I was six. And <laughs> I came to school and um, the, the girls circled me in the playground and they were like, we're glad your mother died. Oh my and I just remember being like, who are these people And What planet are they on that? This is like how they think that a human should behave. Right. So that was really hard. And um, but also like, really, I'm grateful for it today because it was mine. You know, that's what was given to me. And there's no there's no accidents. Everything's given to us for the for the reason that it's given to us. Like I must have needed that mirage to occur in my life. I no longer have people circling me and saying horrible things to me. So, you know, obviously I've moved forward, which is right. a gift. Um, but in that, when I was in the ninth grade, I was like literally on the precipice of dropping out. I had like the leather jacket and I had like, like a Jack Kerouac book in my back mm-hmm. pocket. And I was like... Of this, you know, I'm leaving. And um, right in that moment, I found an alternative high school that only had 80 students and, like, beanbags. And it was, like, super racially harmonious and, like, gender harmonious. Like, half the teachers were black and half the teachers were white. Was this in America
0: still? I'm confused. (laughs) It is. It's, like,
1: some kind of weird – I think I made it up. I think I, like, manifested it. But it was 80 students, 12 faculty members. The faculty members were, like, half black, half white, half gay, half straight. Like, it was – the most liberal place, wow. and the guy who founded the school and his wife were like fought in the civil rights movement. So it was like all about solving civil rights issues and like sitting around in circles talking about like racial harmony and connection. this is an actual
0: school? Yeah. Does it still exist? Yeah. <laughs> okay, crazy. It all does. Right. If
1: you ever have a kid in New York City and they're in high school age, I highly recommend they go there.
0: Oh. Okay, that's fascinating. Wait, I want to kind of take it back again to when you were younger sure. and you were going through all of that. How did you get through it?
1: Um, Was this uh, when the meditation kicked in? I did meditate back then, yeah. But, you know, I I just was in so much pain. I can't tell you how dark my childhood was. Like, it was just so dark. It was years and years of agonizing pain. I watched television to numb out. I was very alone. I didn't have a lot of... Child care, because my father was this awakened shaman, and my mother was dead. And all my grandparents who were ca- my caregivers dropped dead one by one, year after year. So they were like all gone basically by the time I was nine. Mm-hmm. and but before that, they were watching us all the time. Like there was right. two sets of grandparents, a mom and a dad and a brother. and then all of that dismantled. and I just didn't know how to live when you don't have a mom. Like a mom apparently is a very essential thing that I I learned much later. Like I remember harassing one of my friends who's like a makeup artist, like harassing her for beauty information because I just didn't know anything. Like I was just this motherless kid. And so I wrote songs. That was one way I made it through. I wrote poems. That was another way. And I did a lot of things in the dark. Like I would like – gather little groups of friends in the dark and like hold these little meditation circles where I would like play Mm. Enya, which is so funny because it's like now what I do for a living except I am (laughs) Enya now.
0: Um, Yeah. Okay. So because your dad was an awakened shaman and you were going through this, did he help you through it or did it feel like having that person that is I'm sure so meaningful to so many people. Yeah. Did was that did that just make it harder?
1: Um, uh, no, it really was quite lovely having him for a father. He was the best father ever. Okay. And he was amazing. so am- amazing. And so I felt like I knew the secrets of the universe uh-huh. in those days, as I still do today. Like my connection with spiritual life and the the meaning of the world, like as I think people could only wish they could see it the way that I see it, right? Right. That stuff was always cemented because of him. So we would Mm -hmm. stay up all night talking about the meaning of life and, like, gaze into each other's eyes in these lengthy eye-gazing meditations and play Kitaro and, like, sit in lotus pose for, like – five hours like we did all the things and I felt so good with that part of life Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel grounded in reality he didn't make any money Mm -hmm. Um, I felt very insecure about money we only had one you know uh, revenue stream and it was him this like weird awakened shaman guy who like didn't care about money and walked around being like I don't really care about money there was like roaches everywhere mice my house looked like a bomb hit it there was no maternal figure to clean the house I didn't take charge and even learn how to clean until I was twelve. Like I turned twelve, and I remember like waking up, looking around my room, and being like, "What is this? Like this has got to change." And I just started cleaning. And since then, I'm like kind of OCD clean, mm. which is kind so of I, I think almost happens. like a rebellion yeah. against how, because I grew up just this. It was total anarchy. Not to mention that my brother was like this metalhead who had like a mohawk and wore like a chain around his neck and blasted Metallica and was a drummer. Mm-hmm. So it was really insane. So right. it, there was this earth type insanity. Like we didn't have, we'd never had food in the fridge, but we had like black caviar and vodka, mm-hmm. which I didn't drink at that age. But mm-hmm. like still, it just was unmanageable. Like Sometimes I would have to make myself mustard sandwiches because I was so hungry and nobody was home to take care of me. Wow, gotta love a mustard sandwich.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what does some like? What does a father tell their like seven year old daughter the meaning of life is like? What were those conversations like?
1: Mm, well, he never told me. He just he just um, created a state by the work that we did together, and he spoke about his own philosophical concepts. And he always said to me, like, don't take anything I say as truth. Always create your own. And he left the window open for me to create. And luckily for me, like, I am very creative in that department. And so we got along really well because we had so much to co-create. Right. And I was, you know, making up my own meanings of life. Like, I, you know, I just believed in love and magic. And I believed in... Um, gifts like as they not seen like my mom died and I remember my dad was standing with me in the living room and he was like your, your mom is dead you know and I'm like she did this as a gift like this is a gift for us we need to unravel what that gift is mm-hmm. and he was just in so much shock that that was my interpretation at that age right. but again the problem is is that Although I had these very high level spiritual understandings of this is a gift we'll yet to see, which today my life is the evidence of that gift. Mm But I didn't have, like, the, f- the ground foundation of, like, knowing how to bear all the pain that I was in. Right. And so I had all kinds of childhood ailments. Like, I had uh, eczema all over my skin at one point. For, like, three months I couldn't even get out of bed because it was, like, covering my feet and my legs. Mm-hmm. And people would, like, come in and out of the house and see me like that. And, again, my father would, like, try to heal it with energy. And it was just yeah. – it was very unmanageable. Right.
0: It's really interesting because my mom – I mean, I also started meditating when I was, like, a very tiny child, and my mom has all of these very interesting um, spiritual beliefs, which is wonderful. But then, you know, I I also lived with my grandmother who was, like, a very devout Christian, so Mm -hmm. there were multiple sides of it. Um, But I think when I was really young, yes, I struggled with how to bring that into, like, the practical real life of things because when everything are these – it's, like, these abstract concepts, but then – you're getting bullied at school or you're being the bully, Yeah, there was never really a way to unpack that actually in real life. Um, And so sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect. And um, it's great that you were a creative person and kind of able to channel some of that through, you said poetry and writing, right? And music. Yeah, I wrote songs. And you ended up getting like a record deal
1: or something when you were how old? 18. Okay, how did that happen? I, like, entered – I was playing downtown. Like, I'm um, downtown New York kid. Like, I was mm-hmm. playing CBGBs mm-hmm. and Arlene Grocery. And I think that Baby Jupiter was a thing back then. So we played all those hip – bars downtown and then um, got discovered Mm -hmm. and then was entered into some kind of a contest and we Mm -hmm. won that contest Mm -hmm. and that contest led to introductions Mm -hmm. and we were introduced to someone at Sony and we signed with them and so that's how it happened and you were had just finished this new high school I was in college yeah why did
0: you even feel the need to go to college if you didn't like like school
1: um, because Urban Academy was such an incredible high school and okay. it was a prep school for college. So it was designed like a college. It was very like liberal and you sat in these circles and like self, you know, talked about yourself and your feelings and your thoughts about the, the state of the nation and blah blah and i just thought that was so cool i mean mm-hmm. i always wanted to be like a rich white kid you know so that's what rich white kids did yeah and i was like i, I Why? wanted to be normal. Was it because it was just so different
0: than what you already had like that's what i'm trying to understand when you were younger were you fully embracing the weirdness or did were you like this actually is like kind of awful and i want to be a rich white kid like where what or did you flip back and forth
1: it was mostly the the despair it was later that i got to see how amazing my life had been you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i really really wanted stability i really wanted normalcy not that i loved my father my father was my best friend he was everything to me he was such an inspiration and just being in his presence was like drinking You know, ambrosia. Like he was just so alive and Mm -hmm. so sweet and so funny and so wise. That was great. But the instability, the lack of money, the poverty, the roaches, the mice, the crazy like brother and all his friends coming over and watching porn in the living room like it was mayhem and it felt very you know um, unsettling I was so jealous of like my richer white friends and I would come over to their house and they had like their mom was like the president of a bank or something and I was like why Why?" like and they they had gummy bears and they had like bedtimes and they had rules and structure and like treats and you know, chores and just things that did not exist in my life whatsoever. I remember wanting chores.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember being like, totally. wow, if only my mom would give me chores. Because totally. it would be like some semblance of normalcy and right. like regularity. Totally. I remember like wanting mm. a curfew.
1: Mm. I so, definitely know, didn't want a curfew. No, no. I wanted one.
0: <laughs> I was like, why am I just allowed to be out?
1: Wow. You know, yeah. does it mean
0: that she doesn't care? Totally. For a while, I was able to, like, kind of control Mm. myself and then it just, like, not having a curfew, you know, when you're 17, 18, like, you don't have a curfew anymore and you're not necessarily – like, for me, I wasn't doing the things that I, like, needed to do. And so I guess, like, my other question is, is, like, how did you manage that grief through that time and, like – you know, some people don't come like back from all of the loss that you had.
1: yeah, they I can't, but that wasn't even I know we haven't gone forward to the future, but there was mm-hmm. a lot more loss coming, right? And so I didn't manage it. I just was like a self-important, brilliant little artist, you know, like mm-hmm. I you know, I'm sure I'm sure you know people like this. It's just someone who's like smart enough and witty enough and interesting enough to lie to themselves really really well Mm -hmm. and to do it in such a way that it's almost entertaining to everyone else Mm -hmm. right to just be so beautiful and interesting Mm -hmm. and um I I just discovered alcohol when I was like 20, and Mm -hmm. that led to much more alcohol and much more drug use, right? And that Mm -hmm. was how I dealt with it. But also, there was a blend, right? So it was like 50% of me was just trying to numb all the pain that I was in, which Mm -hmm. was already so much pain. But then another 50% of me was like, you know, without abandon, like seeking to find – the the secrets of the universe and mm-hmm. i was willing to go to any lengths to find those answers like mm-hmm. i cared more about the secrets of the universe and i still do today than i did about very simple worldly things mm-hmm. like maintaining a relationship with a guy mm-hmm. or you know making money like those things seemed secondary to me to like finding the secrets of the universe mm-hmm. and as i got older well, I mean, for, uh, so much happened in between then, you know, but today those things, I realized I had to have those things on an even setting mm-hmm. or else I wasn't going to be able to pursue the secrets of the universe. You can't pursue the secrets of the universe if you can't pay your rent. You can't pursue the secrets of the universe if, yeah, you know, you're breaking up with someone every six months.
0: Right. You need a foundation. Yeah. Because even as you were saying, it's like it seems like you had all the tools from your father, yeah. meditation, all of that jazz, but then you still had to use these other things to numb the pain.
1: Oh, yeah, because I didn't have these other tools. Like you're saying you, you know about this with your mom. It's like I didn't know that you had to work to make money, right? Because mm-hmm. he was always just kind of like, I just give you money. And he would mm-hmm. just give it to me. But he didn't have much of it. But he would he didn't care because right. he didn't care about money. So it was just like he gave me like $10 a day in allowance or whatever and paid my rent, paid right. for our food. Right. And so like it was 28 years old when I found out that there's like a thing called rent in the world. Right. You know, I just pretended and pretended and pretended.
0: Right. Tell me a little bit more about what happened. Did you end up hitting rock bottom? Like, where was the turnaround point?
1: <sighs> yes, I did. Uh, there was a lot more tragedy to come. So, like, I just drank and drank and then – What kinds of other tragedy? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like – Sure. No, I don't mind you asking at all. Um, I was 24. I had a seven-pound tumor in my uterus. I was hauled oh, off to wow. the hospital – and almost died and luckily my father had like saved the life of a famous OB-GYN. Uh-huh. And so this OBGYN admitted me secretly through the VIP entrance of the hospital and secretly operated on me like in a four hour surgery to remove this tumor so that I could have children one day. Wow. And I would not have been given this surgery by anyone else in fact he said that at any minute i would have hemorrhaged i either would have died or i would have been hauled off to elmhurst hospital or whatever whatever's closest and they would have given me a hysterectomy because yeah. who cares about some random person coming of in course. right so but he was like no i'm dedicated to your father he saved my life so i'm going to carve this tumor out and like we'll see what happens he was like the chances of you having a kid ever are like five percent like really low Mm -hmm. so he's like so just prepare to never have kids but like when we'll see what i can do and i wake up and he's like you can have kids go back to sleep and that was he was like but you have two years he was like if you don't have a kid within two years this tumor this kind of tumor comes back like 98 percent of the time he was like so either you have a kid because the kid cures the uterus Mm -hmm. or you don't have a kid but then it comes back and we have to give you a hysterectomy because i can't do that surgery once again because it's just too intense on the uterus. And I was like, who's gonna have a kid at like tw- 26 years old? Like, I was like lost, confused, still like this wayward artist. And two years later to the date, I got pregnant. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I came to him and I was like, I think I may be pregnant. And lo and behold, I was. And he was like, Yeah, well, you have to have this kid because like you can't have an abortion anyway. Why? Uh, because an abortion for someone who's had the surgery I had would be like a C-section,
0: uh-huh.
1: like you can't have a normal abortion. Uh-huh. And then also he was like, this is maybe your only chance to have a child because of the what I did to you two years ago. Right. So I was like, well, I guess I have to have this baby.
0: And did you want to?
1: I didn't want to because I was so young. And yeah, because so you didn't have to have the baby. I felt the call of love and I felt the duty and I just remember being like, you're having this kid. This is what's happening right now. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just – go forward and see what happens right and i went forward and i had the baby and i got sober to do it and she was born and she was so beautiful and when you have a baby i I don't know if you have kids no you literally feel like you're losing your mind when you see them the beauty is so intense it's it's like nothing you've seen before and Mm -hmm. the smell and the the look of them and i just remember looking at her and Sucking on her little face, like just like, like breathing her in and then yeah. breathing her out, and um, and then she came home with us, and she was my baby. And then four months later, uh, on her four month birthday, she was with the father, and she died of sudden infant death syndrome.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, and he brought her to me dead, like, and he was like, she's not breathing, and I just, I just wrote about this today because I have a daughter, you know, and. She's nine months old. She's a Mm -hmm. baby, but she's older than this baby ever got to go. And I just had to leave Montauk to come record this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm leaving her for like 24 hours. And I just started to get anxiety about it. Just thinking, I know it's not conscious, but just subconsciously, like, what if she dies? Or, you know, there's crazy fears that come from going through the PTSD of what I went through. Anyway, my baby is very well in Montauk right now. I keep FaceTiming with her. She's great. And her name is Baby Cash.
0: Oh, Baby Cash. Baby Cash. So cute. Yeah, she's amazing.
1: Um, But yeah, there's more. So I'll just very quickly tell you the baby died. I went back to doing heroin after she died. And I did heroin and cocaine Mm -hmm. every day. And then my house burnt down. Mm. And I came home to the house that had been burnt down. And I moved into the house, the half of the house that hadn't been burnt down. And I continued to do heroin every single day in that half burnt down house. And then my best friend like hung himself out of nowhere. Uh And then finally my father died. And those were like the four tragedies that led to me having kind of an aha moment. And what happened was I started to do the spiritual work that my father had left behind for me, which is fourth way. It's called fourth way work, which Uh is what my book is about. Uh And I started to do this thing called divided attention where I would float to the top of the room or the sky and see myself from above. Uh And I would float and see myself from above, float and see myself from above. And that was all I was doing. And as I would do it, like I just, all I was trying to see was what do you look like from above? Like, what do you actually look like? What does your life look like? And one day I saw what my life looked like. I could just see the whole thing. And I was this selfish broken, broke, like confused little girl who was never going to stop using drugs, who was never going to stop drinking and who was not going to find a husband, become wealthy, become famous and successful and live a life beyond her wildest dreams. Like those things were not on the docket. I could just see it. Right. And I remember turning to my then spiritual teacher who was like gifted to me by like some... Some students of my father, like, came together, put some money together to, like, help me because I was, like, so addicted to heroin yeah. after his death. I turned to her and I was like, are you saying – this is literally the conversation. I was mm-hmm. like, are you saying that if I don't stop doing heroin and cocaine every day, I was like, you're saying that when I'm 40, I'm going to be, like, broke, single, like, confused and, like, at parties drinking wine and, like, flirting with young boys, like, but I'll be 40? And she was like, yes. Yes. I am saying that. And I remember just being like, what? Like, I couldn't (laughs) believe the math that she was doing. She was like, yeah, if you just act the same way, like, you'll just be 10 years older, but exactly where you are now. Right. And I was like, whoa, that sounded like the ultimate hell to me to be where I am now, but 10 years older. Right. So I was like, so wait for me to, like, have a different 40 years old, I'd have to change everything? Mm Mm-hmm. And I just woke up in that moment and realized that this was not going to work. And I just everything changed. I changed everything from the ground. I literally reaped up the soil, threw it out. I got sober that day. And wow, I've been that very day. Basically, like within the next few days.
0: Okay, everyone. I want us to take a breather here for a minute. Talking about our origin stories isn't always easy. We're processing a lot of information. It takes a ton of reflecting and being in the moment. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard to be present when I'm stressing over the little things that make it difficult for me to go about my day. That's why we're such big fans of Toomey here at Girlboss and on the podcast. You might already know Toomey because of its slick and sophisticated luggage. But did you know they also have a line of very sleek handbags? Yes, Toomey's line of handbags and luggage really combines style, function, and craftsmanship. All of which means you get something that withstands the trends and helps you live your life in an uncomplicated way. And you know what? I'm all for living life in an uncomplicated way because that means you have more time to get where you're going. And you also have downtime to pause, reflect, and be in the moment. To find out more about Toomey and check out their beautiful bags, just go to toomey.com. Again, that's toomey.com, T-U-M-I.com.
1: How long were you in that dark place for? Which one? Like using? Oh, um, well, it was off and on heroin and cocaine for five years and drinking for 10 Because I started drinking when I was 20 and I got sober at 29.
0: That's a long time. That's your whole 20s. You're really lucky that you made it out of that.
1: Lucky slash it was my destiny to make it out.
0: Yeah. It kind of was like triggering for me a little bit when you described yourself as selfish in that moment. Because I was like, oh my God, that's the last word that I would use for someone who went through so much that you Mm. just described. And that sort of took the wind out of me a little bit. But. There is an element of, like, selfishness to it, I guess, in the sense that it's so, like, indulgent. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also, like, your coping mechanism. Right. Like, everything that you described... Right. ...was really tough. Yeah. Like, beyond measure.
1: Beyond measure.
0: And the fact that you made it through that... However, you had to make it through. The fact that you made it through, <laughs> right, is like the ultimate blessing.
1: It is, yeah.
0: And I guess I just want to know like if there were any like moments where there were like thoughts or ideas or sparks that like brought you out of that darkness into like lighter moments.
1: You know, to be honest, I think that that's the thing that And for anyone who's listening like is and is in such a dark place is that we don't either remember or understand about dark places. Right. Which is that dark places are filled with light. Mm
0: -hmm. That's
1: what we don't get. Right. And. When I was in those dark places, I experienced such a blinding light and such a blinding connection with the divine. And that is why I stayed in those dark places, because that was the only way I knew how to get to those, the blinding connection with the divine, mm-hmm. that love. Mm-hmm. I found it through falling in love with men. Mm-hmm. I felt well, very like... I fell in love with someone like every six months but there was always that one guy like we were like on and off for like nine years and there was something about that relationship that like brought me to this beyond heightened state that love was so real Mm -hmm. and also like the way my father loved me the way my brother loved me like they loved me so much and everyone who died my mom my grandparents. They loved me. Like, I felt love. We were broke. Like, we had nothing. But we had so much love. And I just feel like I had love, I had a sense of humor, and I had um, a romance with, with death and darkness, you mm-hmm. know? And it was actually a, a huge sacrifice for me to say, Biet, are you willing to live a life that's actually filled with joy? Because I'd never really lived a – the only way I knew how to experience ecstasy was through loss Mm -hmm. and through um, being on the edge. Like whether it be almost dying on heroin or whether it be having someone die in my arms on heroin or whether it be like running out of a burning, you know, burnt down apartment. Like those were the places where I found grace. And so I had to sacrifice being a criminal, you know, being a liar. And those are the stories we watch too. Like we don't. What's the most popular show? Like Law and Order. Like we we like these things, right? How did you make that pivot, though? Like, how did you
0: start finding joy in places that aren't so incredibly dark?
1: Uh, baby steps. Mm-hmm. You know, I just started swapping out uh, slowly. Like first, I got sober, so that was the first place. And this, you you
0: found this new teacher. Or this new teacher was brought to you. Yeah,
1: that teacher helped me for a period of time. But mm-hmm. that was a brief period of time. Okay. She came in and out. It was a couple of years. And then we we parted ways. Okay. But um, yeah, I was just carried. Like every step I was carried further and further and guided. I started praying. Um, not religious at all. But I started communicating with my soul. Okay. And I started saying, I don't know what you are, but please show me what you want me to do.
0: So, th- so this is what I want to know. From a practical standpoint, which which sometimes is hard for me because I don't necessarily always focus on the most practical things either. But in a step by step. So did you get rid of all your friends? Most of them. Yeah. Okay, So you purged a lot of your negative relationships. I did. Yes. Individually, I'm sure you systematically went through people and were like, is this feeding me or feeding from me?
1: Yeah. Or if like they were like hardcore drug users, they were gone too. Or if right. they were in a dysfunctional relationship with me. I mean, I dropped even that guy who I'd been on and off the with. The nine years one? Yeah. I After about six months of sobriety, I was like, Mm-mm. you're in or you're out. Yeah. No, I loved him. I was like, I want to <laughs> marry you. You're like, please you. be in.
0: Please be in. No, I was so into him. <laughs> yeah, he was this like
1: super like just artsy photographer who was always aloof and confused. And I just thought – As soon as I get it, he's going to get it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Because I'm this incredible woman. And I finally got how amazing I was Mm because I'd been so insecure all this time. And so I was like, so I'm really amazing. And I was like, do you want to spend the rest of your life hanging out with me and like making love to me and traveling the world? And I was like, we don't need to get married. We don't need to have kids. But I was like, I just want to be with you forever. How does that sound? And he was like, I can't do that. And it was so amazing because as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, cool. Well, then I never want to speak to you again. Yeah, but I was like, you're out. And he was like, wait, what? Like he was like, I just thought like in this relationship there's no stakes. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That part of me is is dead.
0: Because you realize your value at that
1: point. I was just like, I'm done. I want to be, I was like, the space is opening up for the man of my dreams to come in. And you're either that man or someone else is that man. But there's only one man that gets to take that spot. Because right. I'm that amazing. And I was like, so you're gone. And within minutes, I had my husband, and we've been together ever since. Oh, wow. Yep. Literally minutes? Pretty much. And like, it's such a cool story, too. Can I tell this I, story? Yeah. So I'm like walking down the street. And of course, I'm like dating another. Like, I had this thing where I like always dated these kind of emaciated, androgynous poets, like, uh-huh. that wore like little suits. I and already like,
0: pictured that from you. I you don't know, know why. That? I just already pictured that. <laughs> it you're was telling so me, wrong. and I'm like, I like, know, yeah How did you know?
1: Like, <laughs> I, I was like, literally, I was like, oh, you look completely aloof and disinterested <laughs> in everything and maybe asexual, like completely asexual. Like I'm going to make love you my you. boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Love you. And they yeah. loved me too. Like it was yeah. just like a romance from outer space. And so I had found a new one of these and I was like DJing at the time. And I remember he like, he would come visit me and my friend who was the owner of the bar that I DJed at was like, where do you find these? Was there like some kind of like garden where you go pick all these <laughs> yeah. boys from? And I was like, whatever. And then One day, him and I broke up, and I was walking down the street with my girlfriend, and we were, like, you know, both sober, and I was, like, trying not to text him. You know that moment Mm -hmm. when you're, like, trying? I know that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, like, don't text him. Don't text him. And so – and I really wanted to text him. And so I'm praying, right, because I'm using this tool of connecting with this divine source. And I was, like, please don't let me text him. Like, but I want to text him, right? And so the universe communicates with me pretty directly, and it was, like, don't text him. And so I was like, what? I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. I was like, what the hell are you going to give me if I don't text him? Like, this is how I communicate with the divine. Like, (laughs) I'm like (laughs) bargaining with him like some Italian mobster. But I was like, what are you going to give me? (laughs) And the universe or God or whatever you call it says to me, um, doesn't say anything, but at that moment I look up and I see my husband, his name is Christoph, standing in the distance. And it was like one of those New York misty, foggy nights where like all the bulbs are blown out from mm-hmm, the fog, yeah. like the green and the I'm red. it. Right? And it's like misting. And I was like, is that Christoph? And I see him. He was a friend of mine at the uh, time, but he was like the man of my dreams uh, already. And, and not and- emaciated? Not exactly. Not. He was okay, like a so man we're growing here. Yes, he was. He's a very. He looks like a mix between like Ryan Gosling and George Clooney. Oh wow, super handsome, healthy, healthy, okay. yeah, healthy, okay. not okay. not dying. Right. And so I see him before me, and I turn to the divine, this thing I call God. I'm not religious, and I say, "Wait, are you saying that if I don't text this guy, I'm going to be with Kristoff?" And the universe was like, "Yeah." <laughs> When I'm 40? (laughs) No, and I was like, wait, really? You know, and the universe was like, yeah, really, it's that simple. And I like walked up to Kristoff in that moment. And we had one of these moments where like we we just got along so well. We always laughed so much together. And then he walked off and like caught a cab because he was like, I got to go. And he like went and got a car because he was living in Fort Greene at the time. And he got into a cab. And I was like, I never want to part with that human. Like the fact that he had to leave me and get in a car right now was one of the biggest tragedies of my life. (laughs) <laughs> and and then 6 months later we were friends for 6 months. So
0: that's and like, didn't nice. Didn't
1: flirt, didn't do anything and then 6 months later we started dating and we just had a baby. Through. That sounds
0: healthy. No. Like I hate to keep using that word but that sounds silly. Really, that sounds really good. Wow.
1: It was amazing. And so how long had you been sober at that point? I'd been sober for like 6 months when I oh, when wow. that when the rain moment happened. Oh wow. Yeah. And I was sober for like a year when him and I started dating.
0: Okay. So you had purged a bunch of your friendships. Yes. Did you move? Nope. You stayed in the same space. I did for a while. I feel like sometimes when bad things happen to me, I can't stay in the same space because I'm surrounded by like subconscious triggers.
1: I had to do a lot of spiritual work. Okay. So I did a lot of service. Like I was in soup kitchens. I was constantly in spiritual meetings day in, day out. I was meeting with other sober individuals to discuss sobriety, to discuss um, tools and tricks of like staying sober. Uh-huh. I was pursuing spirituality, like meditating and praying every day. So I was. So this was like
0: full time, part time, all the it time? Was full-time. And and it was full time. It was like seven did you days you live? a
1: week. How'd you afford to live? At first, I manipulated a lot of people to just give me money. Okay, um, and then after a while, because
0: I, when you're a user, you're also a master manipulator. Yeah, and that's part of what you have to purge in the process.
1: I had to purge that too, and so. But the first few months, I didn't know how to survive, so I right. just like had. I was just like, oh, you're like an older guy who has lots of money. Like, right. give you want to give some. it to me? Okay, and like I managed to do it without even having sex with people, which was like.
0: Yeah, because you're a master yeah.
1: manipulator. Yeah, I was just like, I'll
0: just hang out over here. You can't and- <laughs> do drugs for that long without being a master manipulator.
1: I guess that's true. Yeah. No, you
0: can't because otherwise how?
1: Right? You better You better yeah, know how to because manipulate. because you also have
0: to get people to enable you. So true. Right? So true. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, so that I'm, was the thing to let go yeah, of for sure. Yeah, that's a personality purge that has to happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, you have to like learn how to be a good human.
1: Yeah, I had to learn. And then I just, yeah, I hit bottom. Like I just got real small. My life became very, very, very small for a while. I stopped hanging out with celebrities and going to parties. Wait, so
0: that's when you feel like you hit bottom? No, no, no. My life-
1: It's a different hit, type of bottom. Yeah, this was a different kind of bottom in the sense of it was it Boring. was humility. It yeah. was like I, I learned humility in that moment. I got a roommate mm-hmm. to, to pay the rent. And it was like me and her in this tiny quarters, but it was like- I was honest. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like manipulating people to give me money. So it felt good. Yeah. I got like little jobs that paid me like 20 bucks an hour and I was honest and I showed up and I did the work and I made the money. At like a health food store? No, I was catering and I was a DJ. Oh, yeah. So I DJed. I but DJ'd. that's scary because that's not a super healthy environment. I know. I don't know how I did it. I was just – I think the truth is that I was steeped in spiritual work. That's the okay. truth. Is if I didn't have that spiritual component of like going every day to do the spiritual work every day, an hour a day of like truly meeting with others who were also on the same path as me. I had a community. I had a lot of uplifting individuals who were all on the sober path. Okay, okay. Right. Right? Uh-huh. And so if I didn't have that, I would have definitely used again. Right. People put like key, keys with cocaine oh, I'm sure. into I'm sure. my I'm nose, sure. like up into my nose. And I, I, they were like, do you want some? And I just remember being like, I do. Right. And I was like, and I remember this. I One time someone put a key of cocaine in my nose and I went, they went, do you want this? And I went, I do. And I like turned away though. Right. So I answered honestly that I wanted it, but then I turned my head to not take it because I was like, I do want it, but that's not what I'm going to be doing tonight. Because right. that's the other thing that people don't realize too is
0: that when you are on the path to improving yourself in any way, not just about getting sober, but a, in a myriad of different ways, your friends sometimes are the ones that feel like personally attacked as well Oh yeah, because you're now shining a mirror onto them. Right.
1: No, they can't hang out. Yeah, they can't. you got to get new friends, basically. But some people came back around. So the good news is like if you are listening to this and you're going through like a transition like that, whether it be through sobriety or food or anything else, once you do recover to the the extent that your habits are completely shifted from a ground level, like the soil has been shifted from Mm -hmm. who you are, Mm -hmm. you can hang out with whoever. It doesn't matter. I go to bars and parties now and I don't – I don't care at all. Right.
0: It's not necessarily buy forever, it's buy for now.
1: It's buy for now and most people buy forever. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Most people yeah.
0: What other major changes did you have to make? Like actual, tangible, tactical ones. You didn't move, you got rid of a lot of your friends, you stayed in New York City. Yes. That was fine. Yeah. And you just had to commit a certain amount of time to your spiritual work.
1: Yes. Which was like sounds like sixty hours. It was an hour a day of, like, actual meetings, right? And then Mm -hmm. I actually had to do spiritual work on the side. But after a couple of years of that, although I felt gratitude and I felt joy, I needed something more. And that's when things started to really change for me. So after two years of being sober, I had this kind of moment where I was like, I want that sexy, dirty, amazing, vulnerable feeling that I used to feel at five in the morning Mm -hmm. when I was on Coke. Mm -hmm. And I want to have that sober. So either I can have it sober or like I'm going back. And I went back to my house and I had like mushrooms that I had saved in the freezer and I was like about to do them, which, cause I was like, well, they're not really a drug and it's like a hallucinogen, a blah, 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 whatever. So I was like (laughs) heading home to do these mushrooms and a voice came down and was like, maybe you shouldn't do that. And I was like, oh, what the hell do you want me to do then? And the voice was like, well, maybe you should return to your father's work and make it yours. And that day I, I did that. I turned back to my father's work I started a group that I would meet with every week. That we would go over this thing called fourth way work. Tell me about fourth way work. Fourth way work is a um, a little known work that most people don't know about, which is why my book is so interesting because it's bringing this completely unique blend of spirituality. What is your book called? Tell us all. Don't just sit there! (laughs) Exclamation point. Okay. And um, so the book is about fourth way principles, and the principles are is that we. Well, the first idea behind fourth way is that it's not the way of the yogi. It's not the way of the monk. So fourth way is a way to find enlightenment while shopping at Barney's or a way to find enlightenment while like having sex Mm -hmm. or a way to find enlightenment while uh, making spreadsheets. Like things that aren't spiritual at all. Like, I've never looked at an Excel spreadsheet and thought, "Mm, like, let me just om shanti, you know? So, but that is how fourth way works. Fourth way actually says, this spreadsheet is your way to the divine. Either you figure that out or you need to go to a mountain and shave your head and give up your belongings and your desires and all these things. And every time someone said to me, you need to give up your desires, you need to give up your belongings. I was just like, I just know that's not going to be me. That's not my path. Right. I want to like I want to transform lives I want to be on a world stage I want to connect with people I want to be at parties and dinners and like I want to have sex till I'm like 80 something like the whole thing right yeah. and so that's not what they're they're saying give up your desires and I was like that's not the path for me so fourth way is actually a path that says don't give up your desires and the idea underneath the book and what we would study every week is that there's these laws that are oppressing us and they're come from within and from above it's like gravity It's pushing down on us, Mm -hmm. and it's preventing us from having bliss in our lives. It's preventing us from feeling connected. It's preventing us from feeling uh, faith Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: alive or hope. All those things get pressed down by these laws. I also really loved your analogy earlier,
0: and I do the same thing about, like, um, trying to float above yourself and look down to really see – you for who you are. Yes. Um, because I feel like we don't do that. We're so in our own head and in our own experience. And just yeah. like the simple act sometimes of trying to put yourself out of your own body to view yourself, your situation, your thoughts, your actions yeah. as an outsider is like incredibly cathartic.
1: Yeah, because otherwise we're like fascinated with other people. And we also are very identified with what they're going to do. Like if I right. text you and you don't text me back, I could be like, why doesn't she like me? Why isn't she texting? Da, 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 da. This right. must mean I'm not good enough. Right, whatever. It becomes about you. Yeah, but if I could just float above and be like, that was a text message. Like, that's cool. Right. You know? and, and also, like, I just give myself pats on the back for just living now. I don't even care. I mean, it's nice oh, if you respond.
0: I'm giving you a pat <laughs> on the back <thanks> for <laughs> living also. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: no, I know.
0: We all kind of need to get out of our own um, head sometimes.
1: I think uh, sometimes is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Am I lying to myself right now? <laughs> yeah. All the all time. I, yeah. I need to get out of my head. The head is a terrible place head. to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Run. Don't walk. <laughs> Don't just sit there. Get the hell out of your head. <laughs> <No>! <laughs>
0: um, So you have channeled all of these wealth of information and experiences into multiple businesses. Can you tell me what those are exactly now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do global meditation experiences with thousands of people all over the world. And I score them with my own music. And the meditation that I teach is very intense and vibrant and alive. There's movement. There's breath work. There's sometimes some eye gazing. And the music that I actually create is very much not meditation sitar. Like it sounds like Coldplay, if anything. And so it's meant to kind of give people this opportunity to say, what would happen if I was to find enlightenment in? Culture like while striving for wealth and sex and getting what I want and real estate and whatever it is like don't di- don't deny it like you want stuff we all <laughs> want stuff and to find spiritual awakening inside of that and then I also do uh, company retreats I do retreats of my own that people join I do workshops and two hour pop ups here and there that are sometimes co branded or sometimes just like ticketed events I have private clients that I help individually. And then I have a record that you can find on Spotify and iTunes that you can meditate with and a book.
0: Yay. Yeah. I feel like I have so many access points
1: to you now. Amazing.
0: You're never leaving my life fully. (laughs) It is
1: really good in here and this whole vibe (laughs) hanging out with you is very good.
0: We're all going through it right now. Yeah. You know, we're all going through it right now. And I think especially like our generation, we're really trying to figure it out. Yeah. But it's like, you don't get to where you are or where I am without going through a lot of shit along the way. Yeah. You know, and I think like sometimes I look at, you know, your story and it's like, how, you know, how did she make it through all of that? And it's like, you have to be like molded and cast only and can only happen through fire. Hmm. And your entire origin story is like, you know, cutting to the core and like such an amazing story about humanity. And I feel like, you know, you have been birthed into this world as such a tremendous light and such an amazing gift. And you're honestly dedicating your life now to sharing with people how they can also find, you know, all of these secrets that have enabled you to be sitting here now Mm -hmm. because there are any in infinite amount of reasons why you shouldn't be here, but mm-hmm. it's that light, you know, that you were born with, that has you here, and now even open and willing and able to share it with other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm so grateful for you. Same. I have one other question for you, which is. Now that you've told me your origin stories, why do you think that it's important for other people to really go through the nitty-gritty of everything that has led them to where they are in Mm -hmm. their origin story to figure out where they should be?
1: It's important that we do it because we don't want to confuse our essence with our personality. The essence of who you were as a baby, the beauty of that light that you just described, that light is um it's the thing it's the energy from which you're going to do the thing that you came to this planet to do and your origin story is all the things that happened that showed you the reasons why you can't do it and so either you're asleep in that lie or you're awake to the truth which is that nothing that has ever happened to you and nothing that will ever happen to you could stop you from being the totality of who you are and if you can get that That's that's wealth.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. Thank you. I am loving these conversations so much on In Progress and I hope you're enjoying them as much as I am. Thanks so much to our amazing partners over at Toomey for helping us make this whole podcast possible. We're going to keep hearing more incredible origin stories from some of the brightest minds out there. And remember, friends do not let friends miss in progress. Also, while you're there, rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things. And you know what? We are all a work in progress. But we make progress when we take the time to reflect on where we are, where we've been, and most importantly, where we're going. Okay, that's it for now. I'll talk to you guys
1: next week.